Uh, if you don't know me, uh, maybe you've just started coming in the last weeks. My name is Josh, and I'm one of the pastors here, and glad that you're here today. If you missed it yesterday, uh, we had a golf scramble, a family golf scramble. I thought I'd show you a few pictures. That sound good? In case you missed it, maybe you'd want to come next year. Uh, here's a few. Uh, there's Bart, great form Bart on the tee box on number seven. And uh, got Chad on the left, Fred on the right, good action shot. And then the champions, that, that Motley crew, they won it all. And um, so they're tough competition. Somebody's got to take the crown next year, so I don't have to hear Kirk brag all year in the office. <laughs> so we need more of you to sign up, men and women both. We'd love for you to play next year when we do that again. And I thought, too, I'd just show you, give you an update a little bit on our time away. We were home for a week, and then uh, the second week of vacation there, we headed up to Wisconsin to a camp. Uh, that Hannah's family used to go to as she was growing up. And uh, basically, it's a family church camp. So there's teaching in the morning and the evening and just camp for the whole family. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I got a few pictures here. Charlie and I hung out in the lake. And uh, Hannah and Charlie look like they're getting married there. <laughs> I thought that was a great picture. And then with Hannah's family. Then we, uh, for the weekend, we went over to Minneapolis, got to see my mom and a couple of my brothers, and then made our way back here on Monday. So... Uh, it's good to be back, and uh, thanks for some time off. It was needed and appreciated, so thank you. Um, today, we're starting a new series, and it's just a short three-week series called Gather, Grow, and Go. And that's a set of words you're going to hear a lot and see a lot moving forward in our church. Um, in fact, let me just back up a little bit and start. Do you know our mission statement do you remember about a year ago, we, we gave you an updated, we introduced an updated mission statement for our church. Has anybody memorized it? You can even cheat and read it off of your bulletin or it'll be up on the screen. But it goes like this. Why don't you say it with me? We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Loved ones, that's our mission. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. You and I just like Jesus was sent into this world, we're sent into the world to love people like Jesus did. You're sent. It's not about here. It's about there, being sent out. Today we gather, but the rest of the week we scatter. You're sent to love people. Who are the people in your sphere of influence that God has uniquely sent you to love? The people you work with, maybe in the cubicle next to you or on the line next to you. Your neighbors in your neighborhood, you know what? They aren't my neighbors, except for Mike and Meyer. We have the same neighbors. Uh, a few others live in my neighborhood, but you're sent to that place to love those people. How are you doing with that? And not just to love them, but then uh, to open your mouth too and invite them. Invite them to gather with us on a Sunday morning. Invite them to follow Jesus with you. That's what we're all about, right? We want to see people meet Jesus Christ. And that's the way we kind of articulate the Great Commission is we are sent. I'd encourage you to memorize that, man. We are sent to love people and invite them to follow Jesus with us. Amen? So that's what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, and then we have some new values, too, that we introduced about a year ago. And this is really why we do it. Number one, it's all about Jesus. If we only had one value, that'd be it. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the senior pastor. This is his church. I'm just the lead one here. He's the senior. And uh, he's in charge of all the church. And it's all about him. All the Old Testament points where? To Jesus. All the New Testament tells us about who? Jesus. And Revelation points forward to the return of who? 
Jesus. It's all about Jesus. If you don't know the right answer, just do like you did in Sunday school. Jesus. You're, that's what it's all about. You and I, our lives are about Jesus Christ. You'll hear us say that often, maybe if you're new. Uh, but apart from his death, burial, resurrection, we're wasting our time. The second thing we believe in and why we're sent is because God wrote it all down. And part of what he wrote down is that we're to go and to reach people, to love them, to invite them to follow Jesus with us. He wrote down everything in his word, in the Bible, all we need. He didn't leave anything out that we need to live lives that are pleasing to him and to know Jesus Christ. Uh, He wrote a book. We're to believe it in all that it teaches, obey it in all it requires and trust it in all that it promises. Our third value of why we are sent is, is all people matter. You know why you're sent? Because your neighbor, your coworker matters to Jesus Christ. They do. They matter, all people. It doesn't matter uh, their socioeconomic standing. It doesn't matter their mental capacity. None of that matters. It doesn't matter their lifestyle. You're sent to love them because Jesus loves them. All people matter. And uh, in in fact, we kind of say it like this, no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, or even what's been done to you, you matter to Jesus, and so you matter to us. Amen? Amen. The fourth thing, a reason we're sent, is all of us need friends. We all need friends. We're going to talk about this a little bit today and next Sunday, that all of us need friends. You need to get connected with some people who know Jesus Christ so that you can do life together with them. Because left on your own, you're a sitting duck. We all need friends. We all especially need friends who know Jesus and that we can be united around that together. You were designed to belong, not to go through life alone. And Jesus created each of us desiring friendship, to live in community. And then the fifth reason we're sent, um, and maybe not a reason, but how we're sent, uh, no sacred cows. This really hopefully defines who we are. That we're not going to have any sacred cows. We're not going to hold on to anything just because that's the way we always did it. It's kind of dumb to, for that to be the only reason we hold on to something, whether that's a, a, a method of ministry or the look of a building or uh, fill in the blanks, the music we sing, to, to hold on to it just because that's what we've always done and it worked then. I'm glad it worked then. That's awesome. But what worked last year probably won't work in 10 years, so we better be willing to change and to, to drop that and say it was good for then, but for today, we're doing this. It's a new day. And the Lord's doing a new thing. Amen? No sacred cows. The only thing that's sacred is Jesus and his word. And so we're not going to hold on to traditions. We're not going to hold on to things that would keep us from reaching more people, would keep us from truly being sent. Yeah, yeah? yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, that's kind of what we do, our mission, and why we do it, our values. This morning and over these next three weeks, I want to introduce something uh, a little bit new to you that we're going to refer to as our pathway. In other words, here's what I mean by this. If you call Wawasee Bible Church home, if this is your church home, you're connected here, we're asking three things of you. If you're brand new, there's three things you can do to get connected and involved in the ministry here and be loved and be known and live out some of these values in your own life. And so these three expectations. The other thing too, if you're a church member of Wawasee Bible, 
boy, you really ought to be doing these things to the best of your ability, right? And, uh, or if you've been here a long time, so what are they? Well, I'm going to introduce them quickly here. The first of these three, we're going to talk about them briefly, and then we're going to un- I'm going to pray, and then we're going to unpack the first one. We're going to look at Scripture together. Sound good? All right, here's the three, and uh, they're easy to memorize. They all start with the letter G. Number one, uh, the first thing we want you to do is we want you to gather with us. We want you to gather with us. We want to see you here regularly, week after week, month after month, regularly. You know, sadly, um, church attendance today, regular attendance is um, considered once a month in America. Did you know that? Once a month. In fact, we see that in our own church. Like if we, we keep attendance, we pay attention and we actually have people, like we try to mark off names as best we can. And there's about 350 to 400 people who are here regularly at least once a month. But almost never on the same day. Other than Easter. Right? We're, we're to gather together. It's to be a priority in our schedule. Now I understand for, for some of you, your, your vocation, whatever else that precludes that. And I'm not, I'm not here to, hump, to, to um, uh, throw guilt on you, to heave guilt upon you in any way, shape, or form. But just to say, hey, uh, is this a priority when you can be here? Or is golfing a priority? Or is fill in the blank, Right? Uh, We want you to make church attendance a priority in your schedule. So the first thing, we're going to talk about the importance of gathering this morning. So number one, one thing we want you to do is number one, what? Gather. The second thing we want you to do is not just show up, but to grow up. We want you to grow. We want you to grow. That's the second thing. Not just show up, grow up. We want you to grow to know Jesus Christ. Um, Showing up is easy. Growing up is difficult. Isn't it? It really is. You know, we'll talk a lot more about this next Sunday, but the idea is that beyond gathering just on a Sunday morning, uh, you would connect with other ministries in our church where you can grow. So gathering with a 110 group, gathering uh, for our Doctrine Wednesdays. uh, You're going to get a whole schedule next Sunday of all the ministry calendar year coming this year. You're going to see all that next Sunday. Uh, Connecting with men's ministry, with some new women's ministry options that are coming. Um, Get connected and grow. So we want you to come on Sundays. We want you to find somewhere to connect where you're growing. And then finally, we want you to go. We want you to go. We we want you to serve somewhere, in other words. Now that could be in the church. That could be outside the church. But if you don't know where to start, start right here. Serve in the church. Go. Serve the people that you're in community with. You know, uh, we have a lot of people serving, but uh, there's also, uh, we, we don't quite hit that. You've heard, heard the rule like 80, like 20% of the people do all the work and 80% of the people are just there and 20% of the people give all the funds and 80% of the people are just there. That's pretty consistent through a lot of organizations, that 80-20 rule. Thankfully, we're not there. We're about 60-40. But, um, but there's a lot of you who you have something to offer And I would love to see you serve somewhere. If you want a good place to serve, our nursery is a good one. They're looking for workers in our kids' ministry on Sunday mornings. The more people who serve there, the less Sunday worship services you have to miss. But there's also a little bit of a problem I found out this week. Our our nursery is so full, uh, especially on a good attendance day. And if everybody came, they they literally would not all fit in the nursery. Um, But in order to add another worker to our nursery... We want to have five in there instead of just four. 
there's not space for another worker in our nursery. Did you know that? Venture down someday. I'll give you permission. Skip the service and go check out the nursery some morning. Just walk down there. Check it out. Ask Dan. He'll walk you around to show you what's going on. But we can't fit a fifth worker in the nursery. There wouldn't be room. If, if, a, if a normal number of kids showed up, it would just be chaos in there. So uh, we either need to make more space for our nursery or we need to go to two services to create space for our nursery uh, or families with kids are going to quit using our nursery and quit attending our church. Uh, so uh, we want to love people in that way. Sorry, I went off on a little tangent there, but there's a place you can serve. Yeah, yeah? So we want you to do three things. Say them with me, then we're going to pray. Gather, grow, go. Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, thanks for your grace to us this morning um, in Jesus Christ. I pray today, Lord, in these next three weeks, as we just kind of lay out this pathway, this idea that, that we want everybody to gather, we want everybody to grow, we want everyone to go and serve somewhere, in some way, behind the scenes, up front, whatever that looks like, wherever they're gifted, Lord, you've, you've given them gifts to serve. And uh, so would you challenge us in those things, beginning this morning with just making uh, attendance a priority? Holy Spirit, I thank you that uh, you're kind and gracious to me, that you forgive me, that you choose to use me. Uh, I pray this morning you'd again work through me and teach your word through me. And I pray against the enemy, his servants, their works and effects. He'd twist your word and uh, cause great guilt that, uh, and shame that we uh, bear no more in Jesus Christ. So instead, teach us and make us new. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to turn, if you've got your Bible, turn to Hebrews chapter 10 with me today. Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, we're going to talk about gathering this morning about the importance of church attendance. You're like, why do I need to hear that? I'm here. I know, but you still need to hear it, and you need to be encouraged about it, right? Hebrews chapter 10. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 19, and we're going to read through verse 25. Let's read together. All right, Hebrews writes this. He says, Therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, uh, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, by by the way, let me just unpack that a little bit. Maybe you're new. You don't understand uh, much about scripture and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. But, but this whole idea, what is this? That we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus uh, through the, the curtain that he opened up for us. I'll give you a brief overview in the old Testament. uh, the, The worship pattern in the old Testament is God had a temple and his people would gather there to worship and in the temple, the, uh, the priests would go into the temple to lead. And then in the temple, there was a big, huge curtain. It's just is giant. And behind that curtain was a place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God's presence was, was manifest on the earth. Today, that temple is the, the believer and his church as a collective whole. But in that day, it was at the temple. And uh, so, so once a year, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and, and they would always throughout the year be worshiping at the temple and in the temple and around the temple. And, uh, but, but only occasionally on, on a day of great sacrifice could the high priest go in beyond the curtain to God's very presence. And only the high priest could do it and only once a year. Well, what happens when Jesus comes and dies on the cross for us is we read, if, if you'd read the text, you'd find out that the moment he dies, he says, it is finished, that huge curtain tore in two. 
symbolically telling all of us that, you know what, that curtain's open. And now because of Jesus' death on the cross, we have access to God as individuals. We don't need to go through a priest. You and I can go boldly before the throne on our own. Anytime, not just once a year. His sacrifice covered all the sacrifices for all time. And uh, because we're sinful, we can never enter God's presence on our own. But because Jesus, who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, yet died a sinner's death on the cross, in my place, in your place, when we put our faith in him, now we are clothed, we're in Christ, the Bible says, we're clothed with his righteousness, and we can come boldly into God's presence behind the curtain. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying here. He's saying, thanks be to Jesus because we can go into God's presence thanks to his work on the cross. Because we have such great confidence, he says, to enter the holy places because of the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, that is Jesus, he says, because of all these things, because we have access to God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, when you trust Jesus Christ, he makes you new. Isn't that great? He makes you new and makes you clean. You're no longer a sinner. You're a saint who sins. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. So he says, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So don't doubt. Hold fast. Don't waver. No matter what comes your way. Hold on to it, because he who promised is faithful. And, and here's the two verses I want to key in on this morning, 24 and 25. And so in light of all of that, because of our confidence in Jesus, let's consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Amen? We're going to key in on verses 24 and 25 this morning. And in these verses, God gives us, I believe, four commands. I believe there's four commands in those two verses uh, as it relates to us gathering as his people or any group of God's people gathering together. Uh, you know, but before we go into this, I ought to point out that uh, you need to know that all of God's commands are for our good. Do you believe that? All of his commands are for our good. Uh, the world uh, believes wrongly because Satan has, has deceived them that, that God's commands are not for our good, but they're uh, to make us unhappy and disgruntled and just know that he's this really in charge, authoritative guy. And he doesn't want you to have any fun. That's why there's commands in the Bible. It's just old fashioned, it's dumb, it's stupid. But do you know his rules and his commands are for your good? If you don't believe me, check this out. He says it himself in Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statues of the Lord, which I'm giving to you to make you miserable. Is that what he says? No, he says, which I'm giving to you commanding you today for your good. It's for your good. When, when we tell Charlie, who's 19 months old and has more energy than any person I know, 
when he goes running for the stairs and we say, stop, is it because I don't want him to have fun on the stairs? No, it's because I don't want to deal with picking him up off the floor in the basement. (laughs) When he stands up and runs on the couch and we tell him to sit down, uh, no running. Is that because I'm angry? Is Is that just because I don't want him to have fun running on the couch? No, it's because the coffee table has some sharp corners and if he falls, it's bad news. Right? It's for his good. God's commands, loved ones, are for your good. They're not calculated to make you unhappy. They're to give you joy. All of them are for our good. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And he knows what makes us deeply and permanently happy. When we obey him. When we follow him. It's the way life is supposed to work. It's how he designed it to work. So when I choose to ignore his commands, uh, I might think that I'm choosing freedom from all those crazy rules, but in in actuality, you know what I'm choosing? I'm choosing to suffer. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Choose to obey, choose blessing and joy. But if you choose to sin, you're, you're choosing to suffer. I mean, think about some of his commands. Think about some of them with me. Uh, We saw some in James about suffering, right? Look at this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Wow, he says to count trials as joy. And to let steadfastness have its full effect. Are you going through any trials? Had my share this year, Hannah and I have. And uh, it's been a rough summer to be real honest. Um, But I have a choice. I can either be bitter about that and let it ruin the rest of my life or I can choose joy. It's a choice. Like, yeah, but you don't know what that person did. I don't, no, 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 no. Don't throw it on them. This is on you. It's a choice to be joyful. Yeah, but I don't, I I just don't like those people. I don't like what's going on. No, 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 no. Not not them, you. It's a, say it with me, a choice to choose joy. James tells us to count it all joy. And look, when we do, when we remain steadfastness, that we'll be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That emptiness you feel, maybe you're going through this trial so that God would shape you and renew you and give you deep joy. Let it have its full effect. See, God promises blessing when we obey him. In your suffering, how about in your serving? We're going to talk about going in a few weeks and serving somewhere. Uh, Serve the Lord with, look how he commands us to serve, with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Two commands here, right? Number one is gladness. Again, you choose it. You choose joy. God doesn't call you to gloom, to come in here and enter his presence with bitterness. And sing songs with a sour heart. He doesn't say that, right? He says, come and serve the Lord with gladness. Um, The Bible makes clear that it's a choice that I make. Uh, And then to enter his presence with singing. Did you know God commands you to sing to him? Why would he do that? He loves to hear you sing. Like, I got a terrible voice, Josh. God messed up on this one. Yeah, you know, no, 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 he didn't mess up. He loves to hear you sing. That's just why we play the music so loud. So you can sing with all your might. (laughs) In truth, that is part of it, so that you'd be free to sing loud and not be self-conscious. But I think some of us, maybe all of us really, we need to work on this one, right? 
And especially maybe putting those two things together, singing with gladness. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing the glories of my God. God Almighty, right? Sing with gladness. Think about the truth of some of the things that we sing. Even if you don't know this song, man, go for it. You got my permission. Go for it. Sing it out. Make that person in front of you turn around and say, what are you doing? (laughs) Sing with gladness. See, because there's blessing in that. There's blessing in that. There's joy in that. God gives us commands for our good. Another one we talked about earlier this year, 2 Corinthians 9. Each must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We talked about it. You know, if you don't want to give, uh, don't give. Don't give. We're never going to force you to give. We're never going to knock on your door and say, why aren't you giving? Because we believe that, that as the Lord regenerates our hearts, it becomes a joy to give of your talent, time, and treasure. And what's curious is there's a promise with this. See, look, look what verses 8 through 11 say. Because um, you're like, well, I don't have anything to give. Well, how about you just start? And, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. I don't have enough for that. No, no. How much grace? How much? What's the word? All. Do you know what that means in Greek? It means all. All grace is his. Check it out. So that having all sufficiency in all things... At all times, you can abound in every good work. Start giving of your time, of your talent, of your treasure. You're like, I don't know if I have enough time. I don't know if I have any time. I don't know if I have any. Just start. God will make those things abound. It's a promise. Don't test the Lord. Malachi says, Test me in this, God says, and you're giving. Test me. Come on, bring it on. Test me. He's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. Uh, verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Increase the harvest of your righteousness and you will be enriched in every way to be... Now, now listen, this isn't a prosperity gospel, right? This isn't saying, trust the Lord, give, and he's going to give you $10,000 back. Put your hands on the TV, pray, it's going to be awesome. Right? That's not it. Look, look why, why we would be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way way. God blesses you to be a blessing. But sometimes you're like, well, he hasn't blessed me. Well, you haven't started obeying. (laughs) If you obey, he'll start blessing. That's how it works. Choose to sin, choose to suffer, choose to obey, choose blessing. Well, these are some commands. And the command before us this morning, there's four in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Let's look at it. Let's read that again together and then look at them. Um, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So the first thing I see here is we're to encourage one another. That's a command, loved ones, to encourage one another. Do you know what it is to encourage? To encourage someone is to give them courage. To give them courage to face whatever it is they're facing. To give them courage to step out in faith wherever the Lord is calling them. To encourage them. To give courage. Now, it brings up a topic we talked about this summer in the book of James again, right? Are you a critic or a coach? You a critic or an encourager? Which one is it? 
You've got, again, you've got a choice. God calls you not to be critical of your church family, but to be an encourager of it. A, a critic just wants to win the argument and be right. The coach is an encourager, and they want to win the person and win relationship. We're to encourage one another. Now, a little side note on this. You know what drives me absolutely crazy? Is when I hear people complain about other churches. Especially as a pastor. Because as a pastor, I know all the things we're weak at. Believe me. They're, they're glaring at me a lot. And uh, they wake me up in the middle of the night. And it's just, it, it's frustrating. And uh, I know that the pastor of the church down the road, who maybe Joe Schmo is being critical of, is also doing his best to lead as the Lord uh, would work in his heart. And I, I shouldn't be critical of him. I should encourage him. I should encourage that church. That's why in your bulletin every week we have a church in our community that we pray for. Are you praying for them? They're not. It's not competition. It's just different Sunday school classes in God's big church. Right? Like, like pray for those churches. And please don't ever come to me being critical of that. Well, that one church, it's so big. I'll be like, well, yeah, they're reaching more people with the gospel than we are, aren't they? Or that other church, it's so small. Well, uh, God's doing something unique maybe in that small community, and that's a great thing. Let's not be critical of other churches. Let's be encouragers of them and encouragers of one another. Um, you know, the Bible uses the metaphor of marriage to describe Jesus' love for and relationship with his church. If you came up to me and started being critical of Hannah, I'd, I might listen for a little while, but then I, I don't know if I'd... I might go a different direction when I see you next Sunday. I don't want to hear that. If she hears you being critical of me, I mean, she knows my faults better than anybody. But, but she loves me, and I love her. You know, it's the same relationship between Jesus and his church. When we're critical of another church, really we're being critical of Jesus' bride. How do you think he likes that? Just think about those things. Be encouragers. That's all I'm saying. That's what the text is saying. Encouraging one another. Here's the second thing I see, the second command. So I hope you're being an encourager, not a critic. Number two, uh, stir each other up to love and good deeds. Stir each other up to love and good deeds. Right there in verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works. Um, uh, this kind of ties hand in hand with the encouragement piece, doesn't it? Because a critic doesn't uh, stir up somebody to love and good works. A critic stirs one up to bitterness and to frustration and to anger. But an encourager will stir you up to love other people, will stir you up to good deeds. Um, not guilting them because they're not doing anything, but saying, hey, have you considered this? Why don't you come serve here? Why don't you do this for those people? You're sent to love people. And invite them to follow Jesus with us. Uh, to neglect gathering together is to neglect some of this encouragement, friends. See, some people will say, I, I love Jesus, but I don't like his church. I just, I don't need to go. Now, do you need to go to church to be a Christian? You don't have to. But it's pretty foolish not to. I'd be like, guys, if you're married, those of you who are married, um, if you never go home, does that change the fact that you're married? Yes or no? No. But it's going to be a pretty crummy relationship when you finally make it home, isn't it? You're going to be like, I don't like it here. Wait, you haven't been around. 
um, gather so that you can be stirred up to love and good deeds and so that you can stir one another, uh, stir others up. But then the third command, um, and this is kind of all-encompassing then, but is to gather together regularly. See, look what verse 25 says. Uh, evidently, even in that day, there were people who had gotten in the habit of not attending worship regularly in the early church. Church attendance isn't just a good suggestion. Look, he says, uh, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Don't, don't neglect this, friends. Um, make this a priority in your schedule. Make it a priority. I know there's a lot of other things that you could do. A lot of other things that are fun. I'll be honest with you. There's mornings, there's other things I'd rather do. Is that okay to hear the pastor say that? But you know what? This is priority. This is family. This is first family. This is first on the schedule, not just because it's my job. When we were on vacation, we attended church. Uh, we went to other free churches and just sit at home and watch TV. It's a priority for us. Is it a priority for you? Um, in fact, look at this. It was, you know, it was, it was Jesus' custom to attend worship regularly. Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. The end of your life, write the biography, would they, they say, and then every Sunday, as was his custom, as was her custom, uh, she attended church faithfully. What's your custom? Uh, day by day, Acts 2.46, the, the early church, they attended the temple together. Uh, they, they received food together with glad and generous hearts. Acts 14.1, in Iconium, they, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Acts 17.2, Paul went in, as was his custom. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. See, I, I just encourage you, make attendance a priority. Because that's where you're going to be encouraged from other people and from God's word. There's something unique. The Bible's clear. There's something unique about the proclamation and teaching of God's word that changes people. Now, it's foolishness to the world, Paul writes to the Corinthians, right? I mean, where else in the world do you see some guy stand up and talk for 45 minutes and tell you what to do? The closest thing to it is a comedy club. And that's just to be entertained. But somehow, in this, what seems foolish, God works. God works, and it's not me. I, 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 he, he just uses me as a vessel, like he used Kirk in a great way the last few weeks, and Pastor Dan a couple weeks ago. Be sure to encourage them. Um, but there's something unique. You should be here. I, I guess I'd question, too, what's, what's your view of church attendance? You know, part of the reason that church attendance is dwindling in our nation and in our culture is because um, for so long, I really believe many people viewed church as just another social club. You can argue with me on that if you want, but I think there's pretty good evidence of it that you go back 10, 20, 30, 50 years and attending church, there was social benefit to it, right? You couldn't run for office if you didn't have a church home. Uh, who is going to speak to your character? You, you couldn't be in a position of authority anywhere unless, uh, well, what, what church do you go to? Are, do you go regularly? I mean, that, that's, that, it, was a, it was a status thing. It was a social 
Now, not for everyone, but for some it was. And now in recent years, as that has waned away, and rather than be a, a, a social benefit to be called an evangelical Christian who attends church regularly, but to be a detriment and a taboo, uh, less and less people have need to go to church. There's no benefit for them. And I, I believe many of them haven't ever truly trusted Jesus Christ. But if you have, man, get here. Don't fall into that pattern. There's benefit, maybe not socially, but there certainly is spiritually and eternally for you. Do you view it as a social club or God's family? Do you view it as duty or just tradition or as God's family? John Wesley was quoted saying, there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. Man, get here. Get connected in a 110 group. Uh, Those who aren't here this morning, encourage them to be here. Stir them up. Amen? And I see one fourth command here, and it relates uh, back to this third one of gathering, especially as the end approaches. See, look at the end of verse 25. He tells us, uh, don't be like us as the habit of some, not attending, but encourage one another. Get here. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you notice day is capitalized, right? Now, in the Greek, it's all just lowercase, but the translators into English have capitalized that. So we would know really what he's referring to here is the day of the return of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord, the day that he returns. You believe he's coming again, don't you? Amen? I I hope you do, because it's true. Now, no one knows the exact timing of his return, like next Tuesday at 3.15 p.m. Eastern, right? We We don't know that. But... Did you know, uh, see, he tells us to to meet even more when we see that day coming. Did you know that the Bible is pretty clear that we can get a good idea of that day coming quickly? And I I, I really believe even as it draws nearer and nearer that that if we really study God's word, we're going to, you can argue with me here, but I, I think we might be able to figure out as we get closer the month that it's going to happen, the time frame, I think we will. We won't know the exact moment, but Jesus tells us all these things. His word tells us so that we'd be ready. And, and as we see these things, we should be gathering together even more. So I want to just, as we close here, I want to I challenge you a little bit and say, and we're going we're to look at a couple of things the Bible says will happen uh, more and more as we draw closer and closer to Jesus' return. And just let's just see if we see any of these things happening. In other words, if we should be meeting even more together as the day approaches and more fervent about it. Uh, I'll read to you some of these scriptures. Um, 2 Timothy 3, Paul says, But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. For in the last days, people will be lovers of self. Is that happening today? That's been happening for a long time, but even more. Wouldn't you say more and more all the time? We, we, when we were on vacation, we were uh, one of the things we did in Minneapolis, we went to the Mall of America, and they have like this... Uh, all my brothers live in Minneapolis. My mom drove up and we spent the night in a hotel there and kind of hung out together. They have this amusement park in the middle and we went shopping and got some shoes. And in this, in this store where we were looking at shoes, uh, this girl was sitting there and she had to be about 30 years old with her phone. I bet she took 15 selfies of herself just sitting there. People will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. I got to get more. I don't want to give more. Um, proud, <laughs> arrogant. Just tell me if you see any of these things. Abusive, disobedient to their parents. 
I, I, I would make a good argument that, no offense, those of you who are here in the, the front, but, but even since my time in youth ministry, you just see rebellion more and more. Maybe that's just me getting old. I don't know. But it, but it seems to be the case. And maybe that's because of parents who are lovers of self and not lovers of their kids and of the Lord. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. See, James talked about that too, right? Don't be just a hearer of the word, not a doer. (laughs) Walk the talk. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Uh, These people are always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They're more in love with learning than they are with Jesus. Just as as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, these were the magicians who, uh, before Pharaoh, would uh, create uh, other things that happened. Uh, So these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith, but they won't get very far. Their folly will be plain to all as it was of those two men. It'll be obvious in the end. That's what Paul says. Do you see any of those things happening? Uh, Then maybe you should especially prioritize gathering with God's people. How about Matthew 24? Here's what Jesus himself says. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? What will be the sign? Do you ever, do you ever, wonder, do you ever ask that to the Lord in prayer? Like, Jesus, when are you coming? The disciples had the same question. When are you coming back? And Jesus said, okay, well, here, let me, let, let me clue you in a little bit. I'll give you a few clues to pay attention. He said, number one, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying that I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. Do you know anybody who claims to be Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah? I did a quick Google search this week. I found uh, at least two articles just from last month. Here's a guy in Brazil from July 12th of this year. Uh, He's he's claimed to be Jesus since 1979. It's a National Geographic. He's got this whole harem of women who live with him in Brazil. Claims to be Jesus, leading many astray. Then there's this guy in Nigeria just a couple weeks ago uh, claiming to be Jesus Christ. Uh, leading many astray. Jesus says, when we see this more and more and more, uh, get ready. I'm coming. I'm coming, baby. Get ready. Verse six, look what else he says. He says, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. There's no wars going on right now, so we don't have to worry about that, right? (laughs) Certainly no rumors of wars. Just like it's been the headline for the last week and a half, hasn't it? The rumors of war in North Korea and Venezuela and all around the world. But look what Jesus says. Uh, I don't know about you. To me, I, I read those things. I see that. And I do get a little alarmed. I get anxious. But Jesus tells me and he tells you, see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. As time goes on, but the end isn't yet. For nation will rise, Jesus says, against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Uh, There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginnings of birth pains. It's just like the contractions before you head to the hospital. That's all it is. You know the baby's coming. You know Jesus is coming. Be encouraged. 
Don't put your hope in this earth, in this country. Put it in Jesus. Uh, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Oh, boy, that's encouraging, Jesus. And you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know, Christians today are often killed for their faith. In the last year, over a 1,000 have been beheaded by ISIS in the Middle East. That's a unique part of the world that God's graced us to live in. Uh, there's an article here from, uh, we're, heading, we're taking a team to India. Those of you who are going, um, we're going to have the opportunity. You're going to meet men and women who are persecuted for their faith. Uh, this is an article from a couple weeks ago of a pastor there who uh, was shot uh, simply for being a pastor. And the persecution's rising in India uh, because the, the prime minister of India is a Hindu nationalist. And they're just turning a blind eye to the persecution of Christians. You can pray for them. And many will fall away and betray one another. Many will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise, lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Rather than growing to love people more who are caught in lawlessness, Jesus says many of us will become bitter and our love will grow cold. Don't let that happen. You're sent to love people. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom, Jesus says, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. How do you do that? How do you endure to the end? You get to a place where you can be encouraged by other believers, where you can be stirred up to love and good works. You got to get here. All the more as the day approaches. Jesus, he says in Luke chapter 21, and we'll, we'll close, there will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. If you pay attention, there's been some unique things happening astrologically. Is that the right word? Yeah, thank you. I doubted myself for a second there. Um, And I don't have time to get into all that. And I'm not saying that that says, you know, on next Tuesday, again, Jesus is coming back or like right after the eclipse on Monday. But guess what? It does like make me sit up straight and pay attention. Like what's happening? He's coming soon. Now soon might be 10 years. It might be 20. I don't know. He's coming soon. Pay attention. The eclipse next, next Monday, go out, check it out, and then be reminded Jesus is coming soon. And on earth, there'll be distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear, with foreboding of what's coming on the world. Some believe this may relate to climate change. I'm not sure. Uh, the, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. See, there is for sure in Revelation 6 through 18, some changes in climate, not because I don't think of greenhouse emissions, but because of God's wrath. Uh, Verse 27, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, don't freak out. Don't run and hide in your basement, in your bunker. When these things begin to take place, Jesus says, this isn't Josh, this is Jesus. This is the senior pastor. Straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption draws near. And the writer of Hebrews says, and don't neglect meeting together, especially as that day approaches. Amen? Loved ones, we're asking three things of you. Gather regularly. Grow up. Don't just show up. Get connected and grow. And then go. We're going to talk about growing next week, but... Just leave you with that challenge. Is attending and gathering a priority for you? Let me pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and for your grace to us and your goodness.
Um, Lord, I pray you'd help us to be more faithful. Jesus, you're faithful and we're unfaithful. Help us to prioritize our time together, um, to be unique among those in the world where uh, coming and gathering on a Sunday morning is our priority. And uh, Lord, I pray for those who uh, work to make that more of a priority in their lives. Jesus, that you would uh, uh, heap great blessing onto them, that they would see the benefit of obeying your commands and uh, that you would uh, grow the unity of our church, draw us together even more as we see the day approaching. Lord, we love you. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.